I want to start off by saying this is my Bible, and I refuse to rise above it. The first lie ever told was that God did not tell you the truth. That lie was told to Eve by the snake in the garden. What Satan did there was two things. First, he said, did God say that if you ate from this fruit that you would die? Well, you surely would not die. As a matter of fact, God knows that if you eat from that fruit, you'll become just like Him. What Satan did there was he implied that God was a liar, that what he said was not true. Second thing he did was he encouraged the idea that God's Word was now subject to human judgment. Eve, you now look at the Word of God and you judge that to be a lie. And today, that very same lie has echoed throughout history of humanity and is very alive and well today, encouraging humans to subject the Word of God to their own judgment, where humans will now look at what God has said, and, say, and then they'll say something like, well, I don't see it that way. They look at the Word of God, and they judge it and say, well, I don't, I don't feel the same way about that. I see it differently. Now what's happened is man has made truth subjective. They have made truth subject to how they feel about things, or truth is now subject to how they view things, how they see things, or their opinions. Truth has now become subjective to man. But you and I, brothers and sisters, to us, truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. It doesn't come from us. It is not subject to us. It doesn't come from us. We aren't the source of truth. Truth is objective. It comes to us from God, and we submit to it. So, I like to say it this way. This is my Bible. I refuse to rise above it. What it says... That is truth to me, and I submit myself to that truth. Today, I want to talk to you about redeeming this time. We always hear the saying, you have to redeem the time, but I want to encourage you to think about it this way. You and I have to redeem this time, this season, this day, this pandemic, this challenge, these circumstances, it's time for you to redeem the very time and season you're going through. I'm not going to talk to you about salvation today. I'm not going to outline the gospel of Jesus Christ today. I'm not talking to you about how to resist or how to, excuse me, rest in the very grace of God for your, the saving of your soul. I'm not talking to you about how you cannot do anything in order to be saved. We've talked about that. In a nutshell, I'm not talking to you about how to get saved. I want to talk to you about why you are saved. The reason God has you here on this earth. And there's a warning that I believe God brings to me and to every one of us here today. Is that there's a, there's a slippery slope a person can get into, which is, when we become slack, we become distracted, we grow weary, we grow tired, 
we grow distant from God. We grow colder in our hearts. And this usually happens in a season like this when we can become distracted by every voice in the world, by all the things that are going on, all the agendas different politicians may have. What's happening in the world, folks, does not surprise God. It is God who raises up kings and who brings down kingdoms. It is God who does things in the world. You and I will do well to rest in the sovereignty of God. So to cut to the chase, as this newborn creature of righteousness, you have a purpose, and the purpose of your new life is simply to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to ultimately glorify God. This is what we're going to talk about. The reason you are saved is that God may receive glory from your life. That and that alone is the purpose of this brand new creature called the born again person. There's one purpose and that is God's glory. I look at it this way. The reason many Christians still cannot find their purpose in this life and they've searched for it for a very, very long time and they're always coming out with new books and new means of discovering their purpose in life is because a brand new blood-bought creature cannot be satisfied with the old creature's purpose. People are new born-again Christians are still looking for all the wrong earthly purposes in life. But remember this, that you are saved to glorify God with this brand new life that you have. You no longer have a greater purpose than that. You no longer have a greater reason for life than just that. As a brand new creature, glorifying God becomes your highest and most lofty goal in life. Two important thoughts that I want to check off right here is that you are saved to glorify God with your talents, with your treasure, and with your time. You are called to glorify God with your talents, the giftings that you have, the treasures, your substance, and with your time, the, width, the frame of time that you have in this life. Secondly is that you are saved to glorify God no matter what season you are currently going through. You are to glorify God. Let me just say this. Many times we fall into a psychological Christianity. Imagine a woman being brought to Jesus by the religious leaders of the day. They pulled her in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, this woman just committed adultery. Are you going to stun her? What does Jesus do? Does he hand her a thick book on how to, how to recover in a healing? No, he doesn't approach it psychologically. He brings justice. And he says, okay, first one of you that can say that you have no sin, throw that stone. But then when he deals with her, he says to her what? He says, go and sin no more. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. This was Jesus' counsel to, to a person who was broken. 
a devastated individual received from Jesus this psychological counsel, go and sin no more. That is sufficient for us to be healed. You see, you and I are saved to glorify God with our talents, with our treasure, with our time. And when we step into that purpose that God has for us, we won't have to grab at psychological straws. We won't have to use psychological band-aids to put it over our spiritual wounds. We have to go to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith and of life. He says, go sin no more, and that'll do good for you. We are to glorify God, and in us fulfilling this purpose of our lives, all other things in life comes into line. But what we oftentimes try to do is we seek all these things instead of His kingdom first. And He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will line up for you. So, today is about a warning. Do not misplace priorities. Your purpose is nothing other ultimately than serving God. Now, some of you are doctors. Some of you are teachers. Some of you... Uh, uh, are, uh, work, in, work in factories, but here's the point. Ultimately, the way you live is to glorify God no matter what you do. So we see that you and I are saved to glorify God with our time, our talents, our treasure. You and I are saved to glorify God no matter what season we are in our lives, even if it's a season of brokenness, even if it's a season of loneliness, even if it's a season of lack, we are to glorify God within that season. We are to glorify God within every circumstance we may face in life. Now, how do we glorify God? This is the million-dollar question. How do you glorify God with the life that you have? And here's my short answer, and we're going to look at it in Scriptures. By actively accomplishing the work God has preordained for you. By actively accomplishing the work that God has preordained for you to walk in. By accomplishing God's plans and God's calling upon your life. This is how God is glorified in your life. You see, there is a dignity in working on God's plans for you. And, and I think this is, a, this is a good season to make these statements. Among all the essential things in life, of all things that are deemed essential by your local government and by your federal government, working on God's plan that He has for you is the priority, is most essential. Among all other essential things in life, answering His call is superior. There's nothing more important, more essential than you fulfilling the call of God upon your life because that is why He birthed you anew and created this brand new blood-bought righteous creature. This new creation has one purpose and that is glorifying God and nothing is more essential than you fulfilling that call. Fulfilling His purpose for you is the most important thing. Do not misplace priorities within your life. That is God's call for us today. We have been created in the image of God. Now, God's image is multifaceted, but I want to focus on one key component, which is 
the fact that God is a worker. God works. God is a working God. God is not a passive God. What work does God do right now? I mean, I thought He's in heaven watching us run around. No, God is a working God. He works right now. The Bible says God is all the while at work within you. He is never not working. He's within His own people. All the while at work within you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Also, we see after creating everything out of nothing, He now works to sustain and to uphold His created work. Also, we see that God is overseeing all of the affairs of His providence from the greatest to the smallest. On the one hand, He lifts up kings and He brings down kingdoms even today. On the other hand, not one sparrow dies without God's permission. Not one sparrow dies without God's permission. This is huge, folks. Especially for those of you who are drenched in fear of the unknown. Matthew 10, 29 says, Aren't two, this is Jesus speaking, by the way, He says, Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? What was He saying? In the day, the smallest, the smallest denomination within their, their currency was a penny. You couldn't get anything smaller than a penny. And Jesus says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? You couldn't even buy one sparrow. You had to buy two because the smallest value that you had to offer bought two sparrows. They were so, so little in value. He says, yet not one of them fall to the ground without your father's permission. Matthew 10, 29. That which is so common to us all, the sky is filled with sparrows. The trees are filled with sparrows to the point where you can buy two with a coin. Even not one of them will fall to the ground without God giving permission. That's a big thought. My point here is that God is overseeing all the affairs of His providence. Then we see that there is no good luck. There is no bad luck. There is no good karma. There is no bad karma. Those are humanist, pagan myths. God decides what is going to happen. God decides when it's going to happen. God decides, your God decides how it is going to happen. The Bible says it this way. Romans 8.28 says, For God works all things. Well, what does that include? It includes all things, even the sparrow falling to the ground. God works all things according to, or God works all things for the good to those who love Him and for those who are called according to His purposes. According to what? God's purposes. God's, God's working all things for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Now, in Ephesians 1 verse 11b, the Bible says, For as part of God's sovereign plan, there's a plan. Whose plan is it? God's plan. What kind of plan is it? It's a sovereign plan. Nobody can interfere with it. 
Hitler cannot interfere with it. And you can mention any other politician's name today. They cannot interfere with this plan of God. For as part of God's sovereign plan, there's a plan. Whose plan is it? It's God's plan. What kind of plan is it? It is a sovereign plan. We were chosen. I refuse to lift myself and rise up above scriptures. What the Bible says is true. It says, for as part of God's sovereign plan, we were chosen. By whom? By God. When were we chosen? From the beginning. Oh, so there is a plan. It's God's plan. It is a sovereign plan, which is to choose us when from the beginning. For what purpose? To be His. Six questions answered in one statement. And then it says, And all things happened just as He decided. Long ago. Which things happen? All things happen just as He decided long ago. That same verse in the ESV says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. Predestined according to what? According to the purpose of who? Of Him. Who does what? Who works all things according to the counsel of His will. The Bible says, the psalmist says, And who can resist the hand of God? No one. He works all things according to His will. God is constantly at work through all things, through all events, through all circumstances, through all relationships, through all pandemics. He works through all of that to make them line up according to His ultimate will and goal and purpose. Now every moment of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year of your life, God is working all things together for your good, which He defines what your good looks like. <laughs> your good looks, your good is defined by Him, not by you. You and I, we define good by what is most expedient and most comfortable for us, but God not so. He looks at what's, what's best for us, our good, based on what the eternal outcomes may be, even if it includes persecution. Because <laughs> blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed, he says, are those. So I just wanted to make sure you understand that when we talk about God works all things for your good, it's not for your, for your, for your financial good necessarily or for any kind of comfort, but it's for the amount of crowns you will receive based on what was accomplished in this life the day you arrive in heaven. Stephen Lawson says it this way, God's invincible hand, excuse me, God's invisible hand of providence is bringing about His eternal purposes. God's invisible hand of providence is bringing about His eternal purposes. Can I say something here that might just be a bit of a mind bender for many? The person who's able to rest, to find rest, to find security, and to find hope in the fact that God's sovereign hand, God's invisible sovereign hand 
is constantly at work within your life right now, within your circumstances right now, within the season that you are in right now, within the pandemic that you might be right now. The person who can rest in that knowledge of God's sovereignty, that finds security in the knowledge of God's sovereignty, or that will find a hope in God's sovereignty, that is the person who's in faith. That's the person who's in faith because he rests in God's will to be done in his life. Now, when Adam was created in the image of God, God immediately assigned work to Adam. God created Adam from the dust of the earth, and as soon as God breathed life into Adam, he commissioned Adam to oversee his entire creation. Immediately, God says, I delegate to you these responsibilities. In the same way, God has assigned a work to you and to me as long as we have breath in our lungs. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, that work is not yet finished. That means, brother and sister, (laughs) family of God, as long as you can breathe, God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose in your life. God has a purpose for your life in every season of your life, no matter what the circumstances you are facing. God is currently working in you and through you. People ask me, do I have a purpose in life? I always respond with, do you have breath in your lungs? That is why you have another breath in your lungs is so that you can further establish God's work in you and through you. Now, imagine this. Just think about it for a moment. How privileged is the man who has identified the work God has called him to? How privileged is that man who has identified the fact that God has called him to a work? What a privilege. But how fulfilled is the man who has resolved to give himself completely to that work, who now lives for that purpose and not other purposes. So if you will, please turn with me to our basic text, our foundational text for today, which is John 9, verse 1 through 4, and we are going to be focusing on verse 4. And as you turn there, let me say this about this portion of Scriptures. Here we come to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. What we're about to read here takes place six months before His crucifixion. Night is fast approaching. There is a sense of urgency our Lord felt as He was approaching the end of His life. He's running this race. This is the final stretch, the final six months before darkness is there. So let's read it, John 9, verse 1. As he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that man, or it was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4, here is our key verse. Jesus says, We must 
work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. There are two things I want you to see in this last verse. And the first is the assignment of work. The assignment of work. Maybe we can say the divine assignment of eternal work. There is an assignment of work that God gave to His Son. Jesus said, we must work the works of Him who sent me. Here Jesus clearly states, there is a task, there is a duty that God has assigned to Him to do. Jesus said earlier in John 4 verse 34, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Just think about this. My food is to do His will and to accomplish His work. That's what I live on. <laughs> that, is, that is what satisfies me. Like food satisfies a hungry person. So, doing God's work, in other words, fulfilling God's calling upon His life, is what satisfied Him, is what strengthened Him, is what caused Him to receive nutrition. This ought to be the same for you and I. Why do you think many people grow ill when they, when, now let me say it differently, when a person has either no goal, no purpose, no vision, or they have a goal to run towards which is meaningless, they oftentimes suffer disease and sickness and they die early or young. And the reason for that is because they weren't eating what Jesus was eating. They weren't sustained by what He was sustained by, which is doing God's will. Eternal purposes sustains you. Jesus prays in John 17, 4. Just as He was coming to the end of His life, He says, I glorify you on earth. Having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Let's look at that verse quick. I glorify you, God, on the earth. How? Having accomplished the work you have called me to do. You and I, family, we glorify God in this world, in our lives, when accomplishing God's purposes in our lives in this world. God is not glorified when we sing Him a song. God is glorified when we accomplish what He's called us to do. When we engage in God's purposes for our lives. That's how He's glorified. Look at that verse again. John 17, 4. I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So let's, look, let's walk through Jesus' original statement. We're looking at verse 4 of John. Verse 4. And it says, We must work the works of Him who sent me. We must work the works of Him who sent me. John chapter 9, verse 4. Please note that Jesus said, we must work the works of Him who sent me. We must. Jesus did not say, I would like to. 
He did not say, I hope to. Jesus was driven. Jesus was compelled. Jesus was duty-bound to carry out this assignment that His Father had given Him. Now, the word work right there in the Greek is to toil, to labor, to exercise. To toil, to labor, to exercise, to expend oneself in a task to the point of exhaustion. That's what that word work means. Then we see that Jesus said we must work the works, plural. We must work the works, plural. This is to articulate the fact that Father God had given Jesus many things to accomplish, many sermons to preach, many miracles to perform, many prophecies to fulfill, and ultimately the great sacrifice needed to be accomplished. And as He hung on that cross... In John 19, 20, Jesus said, It is finished. The it there refers to the work the Father had given Him to accomplish up until that point, which was to pay the full penalty of man's sin debts. That's what it was. Now, let's look at the first word of Jesus' statement, we. We must work the works of Him. He did not say I. He said we must work the works. Jesus was telling the disciples that this work the Father delegated was not just to Jesus but also to His disciples. And as long as there will be disciples, this is true for them also. As long as you are a disciple of Christ, this Calling is true for you also. You are also part of the we. You are also part of Jesus and His team. You are part of God's family here on earth who has been delegated to, who have been delegated to these works. We must work the work. So Jesus was telling His disciples that this work the Father delegated was for them. It was a team effort. In this regard... You and I are included. Now, you might say, well, Jacques, this doesn't sound right because I've heard many ministries teach different. But I want to point out to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. Now, you can please, if you don't mind turning there, it would be helpful because I want you to underline a few things. Ephesians 2, verse 10. The Bible says, for we are His workmanship, okay? In other words, we are the painting God painted. We are His construction. We are His design. We are the product of His making. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? It says, for good works. Which God prepared. Oh, this is not of myself. This is God's doing. He designed these works these good works. It was His definition. Which God prepared when? Beforehand. He prepared what you are to do today and what you will accomplish now in this life long ago. <laughs> beforehand. Why? So that you and I can walk in these. Now the previous two verses are very familiar to most Christians in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, so we get that. We hear that, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. This, that, not of yourselves. Salvation, grace, and faith. This was not you. This was God's. He gave you the faith because of His grace to believe in Christ and so be saved. It is not you. It was a gift of God so that no man can boast. So it's very clear that we were saved by grace. We were saved through faith. We were saved in Christ. We were saved unto good works. By grace, through faith in Christ, for the purpose of good works. Your good works cannot and will not take you to heaven. All right? So let me say that loud and clear. Your good works, God's definition of what a good work looks like, it's not necessarily handing, um, you know, food to the hungry. Not necessarily that. It could be that. But the good works that God has called you into does not save you. Now I know people are going to go, uh-oh, uh-oh, works. I don't like the sound of it. Yep, now remember, we started off by saying, this is my Bible, and I refuse to rise above it and judge it. It is truth, not your interpretation of it. It is truth. <laughs> and God says that the works that He prepared for you a long time ago, those are the ones that He created for you to do in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Now this is one thought. By grace you've been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves as any man should boast. It is the gift of God. And it's one thought. For we, were, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Saved without works for the purpose of works. Saved without works, verse 8 and 9, for the purposes of works, verse 10. Verse 8, 9, and 10 is one thought. Now, your works cannot save you. Your works will not save you, but they will follow you to heaven. Bank on this, folks. None of us are called to waste our lives. None of us are called to be passive. None of us have been called to simply be spectators. God did not call you to be a spectator. He did not call you to be passive. He did not call you to waste your life. None of us are called by God to accomplish as little as possible in the life that, have been given, that has been given to us. That is not a calling of God. God didn't say, oh, and to that one over there, I'm going to give him the calling of accomplishing as little as possible within one lifetime. <laughs> That's not a calling of God. There is this dominant truth that I first wanted to establish and conclude with, and that is that there is a divine work of God that has been entrusted to each and every one of us, and we are privileged and honored to be chosen for this work. There is a reason why you are on this earth. There's a reason why you are born again, blood-bought, a new creature. There's a reason why you are still here, and that is so that God may be glorified in your accomplishments of His purposes and His plans. 
He is glorified in you, fulfilling His purposes and His plans. He is glorified in you, giving yourself to His purposes and His plans. That glorifies Him. Folks, there is a gospel that still has to be preached. There are messages that must be proclaimed. There are people that must be reached. We are called to know Him, but also to make Him known. Our purpose is clear. So we see, number one, that there's a divine assignment of an eternal work. Number two, in this verse we see that there's an allotment of time. An allotment of time. You see, there's so much that Jesus says in verse 4 of our foundational text that is extraordinarily uh, profound and powerful. Look at what He says. If you don't mind turning to your own Bibles, John 9, verse 4. We must work the works of Him who sent me. We must work the works of Him who sent me. Jesus then continues with that statement, as long as it is day. It's profound. As long as it is day. There is an appointed amount of work delegated to you by God, but there is also an allotted time with, given to you by God within which you are to accomplish that which was delegated to you. Very clear. He says, as long as it is day. The word day here is uh, metaphorically speaking. It's a metaphor. In, in this verse, day, it refers to earth, uh, Jesus' earthly lifetime. The span of time given to Jesus to accomplish all that He needed to do, all the sermons He needed to preach, all the miracles He needed to perform, all the prophecies He needed to fulfill, and then He needed to end up paying the debt, the sin debt of entire human race. There was a window of opportunity given Jesus to do this as long as it is day. It's the number of years, the number of months and weeks and days Jesus was given to accomplish all that He needed to. Jesus was saying, as long as it is day, we must carry out these works given to us by God because night comes. And night here means death. Jesus is saying, we must do it now. We cannot procrastinate at all. We cannot put this off. Throughout Jesus' life, He understood that He was on the clock. And Jesus is attempting to also, by His example, show us something. Jesus knew throughout His life that He was on the clock. He was given this delegated this responsibility, going to all the world and preach the gospel, which is ours. And then He was given the, these years, these amount of months, these amount of weeks, days, and moments in which He needed to do it. Jesus' mother, watch this, she comes to Him and she says, at this wedding feast, they've run out of wine. We need more wine. Jesus replies to her, and she's requesting a miracle from her son. She knew He could do it. John 2 verse 4, Jesus replies and He says, Woman, what does that have to do with us? Why? Because my hour has not yet come. My time, this is not yet time for this. 
And again, when Jesus was urged to go to Jerusalem and show himself to be the Messiah, in John 7 verse 6a, he said to them, My time is not yet here. He knew he was on the clock. John 8 verse 20. These words, he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him. So Jesus said things in the treasury while in the temple. He said things that naturally would have gotten him in so much trouble that he would have been seized and arrested, right? But the Bible says that these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him. For some reason, they did not arrest him. Why not? The Bible says, because his hour had not yet come. He was on the clock, and it wasn't time for that. John 12, 23 says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. By this he was referring to his death. It was obvious that Jesus was under a divine schedule, a divine schedule that had been foreordained by the Father before the foundations of the world. Of course God ordained this time table, this schedule. This is why Jesus could not be slack. Jesus was never aimless. He wasn't shuffling His way through life. He was on a divine time schedule. And so are you and I. God has ordained seasons and times. He's given us opportunities because He's merciful, because He's gracious, because He's good, because He's loving. He gives us time. Jesus then says in John 12, verse 27, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Is that what I should say? He continues, he says, For, the, for this purpose, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. This hour. Then in John 17, verse 1, as he begins to pray his high priestly prayer, he says, in 1b, Father, the hour has come. Now glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Help me complete my duties, my tasks, my calling, my purpose. Help me complete it so that I too in my life can glorify you. We conclude here that not only does Jesus have a specific work to accomplish, but He also has a specific time given to Him in which to accomplish it. He has a divine calling, but also He has a divine allotment amount of time. He was given by God in order to fulfill His purposes. Jesus was never killing time. Jesus was not wasting time. Jesus wasn't procrastinating. He was not dragging His feet. He was not unmotivated. However, this happens to us. And this is God's warning to us during this time. Don't grow weary. Don't grow despondent. Don't get distracted. Don't drift afar. But regain focus. And readjust priorities. Because nothing is more essential than God's purposes and callings in your life. They and they alone are eternal. They don't take you to heaven. 
but they follow you there. You see, each one of the four Gospels presents Jesus Christ in a very unique light. This is so fascinating to me when I was taught this. In the four Gospels, you'll see in Matthew, Jesus is presented as the King of the Jews. Then in Luke, we see Jesus is presented as the perfect man. In the book of John, Jesus is presented as the eternal Son of God. But in Mark, Jesus is presented as the servant of the Lord. It is in this book of Mark where the famous verse that says, Jesus did not come to be served, but He came to serve. And the key word that is fitting for a faithful servant is the word immediately. A faithful servant understands the word immediately. That's part of Him being faithful. In the book of Mark, the word immediately is used over 40 times. And let's just take a quick look in the first chapter of Mark. How often this theme of faithful immediately, immediately on it, like white and rice. <laughs> Let's see how often this thought comes to the reader of Mark. Mark chapter 1 alone. Mark 1.10 says, immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. Mark, 1, chap Mark chapter 1.12 says, immediately. The Spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness. Mark chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to preach. Mark chapter 1, verse 28. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding districts of Galilee. Mark chapter 1 verse 29, and immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew. Mark chapter 1 verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law was laying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. Mark chapter 1 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Can you see that everything moved at a high speed at this time in Jesus' ministry? There was a kind of an acceleration that was happening in that season, there was an urgency taking place. Jesus put his face like flint. He knew he was on his way to Jerusalem, and he knew that he had to fulfill all prophecies of Old Testament. He knew his job. He knew his purpose. He knew he was in a timeline. He knew he had a window of opportunity in order to fulfill the purposes of God. Do you know that while Jesus was being slaughtered on the cross was the same time the Jews were slaughtering the lambs, the perfect lambs, for their sacrifice during Passover. Jesus' timing had to be immaculate and perfect in order to fulfill all prophecy. As He was pressing on and moving ahead to accomplish the works of the Father that God had given Him, He needed to stay on task. And He calls you and I to stay focused on what is most important. Keep the main thing the main thing. God's calling and God's purposes in your life. Don't get distracted at this time. Don't get weary. Don't get despondent. Don't drift. Don't get cold. But more than ever now, you are the light of this world. You are the salt 
on earth. You are the ones that hold the hope of eternal life to a lost and dying world. In Psalm 90 verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days. Teach us, God, to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. <laughs> oh, do you realize that you, do you realize that you and I have to be taught to be wise because you and I are naturally foolish. If you leave a child to himself, he'll destroy himself. You and I are naturally foolish. We need to be taught to be wise. Left to ourselves, you and I will squander our time and waste every opportunity we get. Left to ourselves. We have to ask God to teach us to be wise, to number our days. None of us know how many days we may have. I don't know how many days I have on this earth, and you don't know how many days you have on this earth. The devil's trying to tell you that you're going to have less than God planned for you, and he's a liar. What this means is that we should count the time in every day that we have in this world. Every day we have breath in our lungs, we ought to count this time as liquid gold. This is gold. This moment is gold. This season is gold for you and I as new blood-bought creatures of the living God, part of His family. You are empowered by the Holy Ghost. This is a fantastic moment. Don't waste it. Don't weep. Don't cry. Don't complain. Use it. It's liquid gold. You are on a divine time clock, divine schedule with a divine mission. You have been commissioned. So what this means is we should count the time that we have as liquid gold. God has foreordained the day of your birth. Did you know that? Oh, no, He didn't. My mom and dad did. No, God did. You had nothing to do with the day of your birth. God planned it. He could have had you born in the 17th century, but He didn't. He had you born not in the beginning of the 1900s during the Black Plague or the Spanish Flu. No, He had you born in this time, in <laughs> this age, during this season. And God has already foreordained your first day in heaven. So you had nothing to do with the day of your birth. And you have nothing to do with the day you step into heaven. Those bookends are of His making. You will not live one second beyond your appointed time. There is a line drawn in the sand, and you will not go past that border. And on the same time, on the side of the coin, you will not live one second less than your appointed time. Can everybody say, praise God, hallelujah. You will not live one second less than your appointed time. Why? Because God holds your entire life in His hands. Jacques, this is not true, somebody says. Well, it might not be true in your mind, but certainly true within the pages of God's Word. Why don't you turn with me to Psalm 139, and we're coming in for a closing soon here.
Psalm 139, verse 16. The Bible says, Your eyes, God, have seen my unformed substance. God, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Another translation says, God, you saw me as an embryo. You saw me as an embryo. And in your book were written the days that were ordained for me. In your book were written the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. When as yet there were not one of them. What does that mean? Before your first day, before your first breath, all the days of your life, all the days of your life were written in God's book. And they were written in His book the day He saw you before you had substance. It's an amazing thing, God's foreknowledge. You have an allotment of time, family, you and I. Nobody can change that. The reason you have an allotment of time is not to work in order to extend it. That seems to be the priority of all men today, and women today. How can I stay healthy? How can I stay fit? Because I want to live to be long. You have an allotment of time not to try and extend it, but to attempt to accomplish all that God has called you to do during that time. This is God's doing. Job 14.5, it says, Since his days are determined, talking about man, since man's days are determined, the number of his months is with you, God. <laughs> it's pretty specific. The number of his months is with you. You know the amount of months he has. And his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. The limits of his month you have set. You bookended his life. So he cannot be born earlier than he should. And he cannot go beyond or end earlier than he should. He cannot go to heaven sooner. He cannot go to heaven later. You, God, have decided this. His limits you have set. He goes, Jacques, I so disagree with you. Folks, trust me. The thoughts that have gone through my mind regarding this issue. But I cannot, for the life of me, think of a greater doctrine to put my mind on and place my heart upon during a time of uncertainty, a time where people are soaked in fear, a time when people are getting angry at governments, a time when people are confused. I cannot give you a more certain doctrine than the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Rest. And if you do, now you are in faith. Find security in the sovereignty of God and knowing that He's sovereign. Because if you find security in that portion of who God is in your life, now you are in faith. I cannot think of a doctrine that's more important for you right now than the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. God has 
you in his hand. And he has given you a specific window of opportunity to fulfill his purposes because that is why you are on this earth because that is the only possible way for you to glorify God. Let me read again to you Job chapter 14 verse 5. Since his days are determined, since his days are determined, talking about man, the number of his months is with you and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. That is why Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, folks. It says it. Don't boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring forth. You don't know. Many times what people attempt to do is they attempt to rise above what Scripture tells them. I don't discover truth based on how I feel or how I perceive and see things. I base my truth not subjectively. I don't become God. I don't become the human who subject the words of God to my judgment and say, this is not true and that's not true. No, I'm the one who finds truth objectively. I look for truth to come to me from the very canon of Scriptures. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 15, our last verse for today. Ephesians 5 verse 15, therefore, be careful how you walk. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise So God's calling us. He's saying, watch out. Here's a warning to us today. Watch out. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Why? How? He says, making the most of your time. Folks, this season is liquid gold. Your circumstance that you're walking through right now, every moment of it is liquid gold. It is divine scheduling. Time for you to become salt. Time for you to shine brighter in a darker world. So God is warning us today, and He's calling us. He's warning us, and He's calling us. There's a red light flashing, and there's a green light that's on. He's warning us. He's saying, don't become slack during this time. People become slack. How? They get, they get distracted. They get wrapped up in all the wrong goals in life. They get filled with all the cares of this world. For those of you that don't know, revelation cannot be stopped. It's, it's on its way, folks. You are like, if you want to fight, like let's say, for instance, the globalist a one world issue, it's like you are standing in the ocean trying to stop a wave. You can't do that. You can't resist the hand of God. This was God. The world will, like a rebellious mob, continue to march toward the book of Revelation. It will. Nobody can stop it because God already said it. So there's a warning for us. Don't become slack by being distracted. Don't drift by being distracted and making other things more important than what they should be. Don't grow weary. Don't grow tired. Don't grow cold. Don't become purposeless during this time. I know some people have lost so much. Some of you look to your 401k and you cannot believe that you have worked so hard to have what you had only to lose 50% of what you had overnight. May this be, may this be the siren heaven's siren that says let's make sure we have the right priorities it is the call of God 
It is the work of God in our lives. It is the purposes of God that matters. So our warning is, don't become purposeless. But today, God calls us to engage with His kingdom. God calls you today to refresh your engagement with His kingdom, with His purposes. He calls you to engage with Him through prayer. He calls you to engage with Him through... Let me ask... I asked myself this question last night while I was praying for you. When last have I prayed the prayer of consecration? When last have you prayed the prayer of consecration? You say, what is the prayer of consecration? It's when you say, God, I remove all obstacles in my life between you and I called sin. God, I remove all idols that I chase after in my life. I remove all of that and I say, God, you and you alone, is my, you are my audience. And God, I give myself to you on the altar. I climb onto that altar and I give myself to you. Now you use me, you mold me, you make me, you break me, you accomplish in my life and through my life, your will be done and not mine. That's what Jesus prayed in the garden. The prayer of consecration, not my will be done, but yours. When last have we prayed that? Engage in prayer. Engage in the Word of God. Engage in God honoring things that are currently in front of you. You go like, well, I'm on lockdown. Engage in God honoring things that are currently in front of you. Your wife, your husband, your children. Your priorities, your heart, your desires, your time with God, your prayer, your understanding of scriptures. Engage in God's service that is within your reach. How about people that are in need that you can encourage, minister to, pray for? Engage in the kingdom of God. And then He will add all things unto you. Amen.